0: morning. When uh, I was uh, first saved, that's uh, about 20 years ago now, can you believe it's been that long? (laughs) I remember uh, enjoying what I've I've typically seen with new believers, uh, something uh, of a honeymoon if you would where you just uh, feel like you're walking on cloud nine. And uh, I forget how long it lasted. I think I've noticed typically it lasts for about a year. You know, you're just so happy that you found the Lord, or the Lord found you, and you've enjoyed him. And uh, then very often, some, at, uh, at some point, you start feeling like there's something lacking in your life. You haven't... Uh, Maybe attain to all the riches you understand are available to you in Christ. And um, then you find out that there's all these programs out there to help you. And uh, behind me are are some of the books, you know, that that are out there. There's thousands of help books (laughs) on how to live the Christian life. I remember at the time I read uh, a book uh, called Victory Over Darkness. And uh, I, came, I was introduced to other books, uh, The Prayer of Jabesh, The Purpose-Driven Life. I don't know if anybody read those books. But uh, these are things that, that there's an audience for. Because Christians go through this experience and they come to a point where they feel, I'm not enjoying everything that should be mine in Christ, I need more. You know, there's a market, and if you can print a book with a good title and a nice picture in front, and you claim to have found yet a new way for people to enjoy the Christian life, you'll have a market, right? People will buy. And that was, I believe, the situation at Colossae, as you had these false teachers coming in and uh, offering uh, yet another way to be full in Christ, or to enjoy all the blessings of God. And that's where we pick up in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So here Paul is referring to what's happening at the church in Colossae. These false teachers have come, and they're introducing these additional teachings or doctrines of what it is you ought to do if you want to to, uh, live the victorious Christian life and Paul is pointing out that there's some problems with what they're being taught, or there's a problem with them following these new teachings. And that the first one, he says, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Now, there's there's a number of things that are usually used uh, that when when we say we've died with Christ, it could mean a number of different things, right? In this particular context is saying you've died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. The basic principles of the world in Colossians seem to refer to human ideas that are in the world, prevalent human ideas in the world, of what it is that we have to do if we want to please God. right? And uh, what he's saying is, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Meaning... You've already found a way to be right with God. How was it? Well, through the cross, right? Jesus died for our sins. I don't have to do anything else, right? I don't need to do anything else to be right with God. That's what he means. You've died with Christ from the basic uh, principles of the world. Why do you subject yourself to regulations? And then he's listing some of these regulations or teachings that these false teachers were bringing do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the usings according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, we don't know for sure what it was that was being taught in Colossae, but we have uh, what might be a good example in the Gospel. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to the Gospel of Mark. If not, we'll have the verses projected up for you to read. But uh, we have here the same kind of people encountering Jesus, Right? And uh, we'll see what Jesus has to say about what they're teaching. So this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him. So here they have a label. They're called Pharisees and scribes. These were the religious Jews. Came together to him. They came to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw... Some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Does your mother ever tell you to wash your hands before you eat? She does, right? And there's a good reason to, right? If if you don't wash your hands, there's maybe some increased likelihood that you're carrying germs or something and, you know, you'll get sick. So wash your hands, right? But what they were saying... Is, is that there is a spiritual value to washing your hands. Washing your hands before you eat helps you be close to God. Right? We'll see it as we keep reading. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, and copper vessels and couches. So they believed that a person could become defiled by touching something or tasting something or handling something and become morally unclean, separated from God. If you want a good relationship with God, you better get rid of all these things. You know, don't touch that. Don't taste this. You know, these are things that will separate you from God. That's what they were saying. Verse 5. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, that is, Jesus... Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men." The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things as you do. So what Jesus is saying here is these people who were claiming to have this extra spirituality because of avoiding certain contact with the world were themselves not right with God. They were hypocrites. They claimed to know God. They didn't really know God. And like Paul, he's saying that what their teachings are the doctrines of men. God never taught that by keeping certain outer observers Observance says we can be right with God. You know, There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God aside from what? Faith. Yeah, faith in Christ. Right? The only way God made for us to be right with him is through Christ. Now, he's given various pictures in the Old Testament that included physical uncleanliness, but you couldn't become right with God through keeping outward cleanliness. That was never a way to be right with God. There's only one way and that through Christ. Okay, then uh, we'll skip some verses in Mark 7. We'll jump to verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Not what goes in, but what comes out. Defile. In case you don't understand what he's talking about, you're in good uh, fellowship, because the disciples didn't understand either. So in verse 17, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, meaning, what do you mean? Um, He said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? So nothing that can comes in affects my relationship with God. And he said, What comes out of a man, uh, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a man. Not, not what comes into me, what goes out, right? The sin that's flowing out of my heart, right? That defiles me. And that's why Paul, at the end of the passage we read, said, These things are of no value against indulgence of the flesh. Indulgence of the flesh. Against my sinful nature, keeping all these outwardly cleanliness things doesn't help, right? The problem is with it. Right? Now, we may not have today the same problem that the church in Colossae had. Nobody has come through those doors that I know of that told us we have to keep these kind of laws to be right with God. But the nice thing about these passages uh, in the Scripture is that after Paul is done telling us what's wrong about what's being taught in Colossae, he tells us the right way. So he's going to tell us here what is the right way to be close to God. If you feel that there is a lack in your life, you're not enjoying the fullness of God, well, Paul will tell you how to do it. That's the good news. So we'll keep reading then in verse 3. And I counted four main principles for, if you would, enjoying the relationship with God he wants us to have, or living the victorious Christian life, or whatever title you want to put in the book. (laughs) So chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the first principle I wrote down is know your position, <laughs> right? In every uh, important uh, game that's out there, football game or soccer, you need to know your position. Where is it that you're playing? Where is it that you're standing? What is it that's important for you to do for the victory, <laughs> all right? And in this case, our position is in Christ, right? It's saying you were raised with Christ. Again, being raised with Christ could mean a number of different things. Here it simply means you're now in heaven, right? That's what he's saying. In uh, Ephesians, uh, he says it like that. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. My uh, children, sometimes when we have uh, guests over, and I know I've done it myself, I should keep pointing to my children, sometimes it's me. I'm in a restaurant, there's a large group of us that's coming, and you mark your seat, this is my seat. right? But then you have to go to the bathroom or somewhere else, and you're telling people, I'm sitting there. Are you sitting there? No, you're up and you're going. But it, this chair is yours. It has your name on it. You want everybody to know this is your seat. And I think that's, that's at least one of the thoughts here of us being, you're as good as in heaven now. Okay, This is where you are positionally. Okay, Which means you don't have to worry about being right with God. You are right with God. Uh, if you've trusted in Christ Jesus, you're right with God. You're as good as in heaven now. I like it uh, how uh, a certain hymn says it: "A debtor to mercy alone. Of covenant, mercy, I sing. No fear with thy righteousness on, or God's righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from you. It's what he did, not what I do, that positions me in heaven. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength, will complete. His promise is yea and amen and never was forfeited yet. Has God ever gone back on a promise he made? I don't know of any time, things future, no things that are now, no things below or above can make him his purposeful go, or sever my soul from his love. My name from the palm of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains my name in his heart, in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure, the souls of the blessed in heaven. More happy, those who are in heaven right now, they're not more secure than I am. Jesus said it in this way, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. But this is saying, Jesus and God the Father are one and united in one thing, and that is you being in heaven. All right? Nobody can take you out of their hands. So, all these things we're talking about, about you know, living the full Christian life, you can't confuse that right, with your position in heaven. That has to be solidly in your mind. If you start thinking that what you're doing here is contributing into your eternity in heaven, you're on the wrong path. Okay? That is not how to live the full Christian life. Okay, second principle that I have Principle number two, uh, I call it uh, tuning your radio to the right channel. Any, any of you seen those things before? Yeah. <laughs> Hard to find them today. But uh, it, we live in the world, right? And, uh, you know, the world is broadcasting a certain message at us, which... Uh, you know, it's easy to tune to. You know, even, you know, I, I don't watch TV. I have a TV in my house, but, you know, it's to put, like, DVDs in it so I can watch something I'm controlling because I'm, I'm afraid of what's coming out and being broadcasted. Um, but I can't avoid certain things, right? I have to go shopping. And uh, you stand in the grocery, in the checkout line, and there's these magazines, you know, and you have to kind of avert your eyes and try to steep focus to be sanctified, right? Because of the distractions that are on them. And they're going to tell you, you know, all the things that you need to have a happy life. You need a perfect body. You know, you need the perfect partner. You need that uh, long, delayed uh, cruise to Hawaii. You know, you need uh, financial security. Without these things, you're not going to be happy or fulfilled. And if we are on that channel... We're not going to be able to live the victorious Christian life. Right? You have to tune to the right channel. What's the right channel? Well, Paul said, set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. What, what are the things that are above? What is it that you know, we would appreciate in heaven? What is it that's valuable in heaven? Well, Jesus gives us a glimpse into it. And uh, look. You find my verses here. Luke uh, 15.10, he kind of opens it a little bit, you know, the curtains. What's valued in heaven? Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God of a one sinner who repents. All right, what's valuable in heaven? Believe it or not, you and me are, right, the souls of men and women and children that are eternal in nature, which God has created, for eternal fellowship and joy with him in heaven, right? I mean, that is what's valuable in heaven. And when one sinner repents, there is joy. God is rejoicing. All of heaven is rejoicing. The saints that are there rejoicing. We should be rejoicing. We are, right? When, one sin- when we know of one sinner that's saved, we rejoice, right? That's the right channel. And uh, doesn't, not just talking about salvation, it talks about being encouraged in the Lord, right? being able to go beside a brother or sister and encourage them, saying something that helps them with their walk with God. Our relationship with God is being built here day by day. Right? And anything that's promoting our relationship, the relationship of human beings sold with God, right? That, that's, that's the channel. That's what heaven rejoices about. That's the direction our lives should be oriented. So that was principle number two. Uh, let me add to that a little bit here. If you notice a difference here between the two, from what the uh, Pharisees or the false teachers were teaching, was very self-oriented, right? What do I have to do to be personally clean in order for me to, you know, enjoy more of God? Who am I thinking about? I'm myself, right? And whereas in this case, you know, if I'm thinking of of what is valuable in heaven, and it's every sinner that repents, every person who goes closest to God, who should I be thinking about? Others, right. And that's, and that's a very important key for for living the victorious Christian life. It must be other-oriented, right? Not self-oriented. Uh, I, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again because I like it. But uh, this is, uh, this is uh, William Booth, or General Booth, as he was, uh, referred to, I believe. Uh, let's see if I can find it. I know I have it here somewhere. But, uh, so he, he started Salvation Army. That's what he's known for. So Salvation Army today used to be very evangelical. Today it's become, you know, maybe a little bit more involved in social good work. Still true believers there. I have friends that are in the Salvation Army. You know, true believers uh, wanting to serve God uh, with all their might, and uh, so they, they were a mighty army then. They might still be a ar- mighty army now, but uh, they—General Booth used to send them a message. Or they used to have a, whatever a conference or a gathering uh, in Christmas, and General Booth would would bring the message. One year he was just getting too old and blind, and couldn't come anymore. Couldn't come to the message, and so <coughs> he sent—he sent them a message by telegraph. Right, that's at the time what they had was the telegraph. And uh, maybe it was because there was a certain cost associated to every letter. That's how you paid for messages, for every letter. So maybe he was driven to a short message by consideration of cost. The message he sent was one word, others. And I love this uh, hymn that uh, was written by somebody else. I forget his name. I think it's displayed there, right? right. Charles D. Meigs, give credit where credit is due. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain may efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done, and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Is that a lovely, lovely hymn? Okay, Uh, so now for the rest of our passage, uh, we'll finish Colossians chapter chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Principle number three, I said here, no compromise with sin. And that comes from the opening words here in verse 5. It says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he's talking about sin in our life, right? And uh, we need to be careful. Uh, As long as I am in this body, I'm not going to live a perfect life, okay? Let's accept that. (laughs) But it doesn't mean... I need to accept any sin in my life. Whatever sin is in my life, I must fight and do everything in my power to get rid of. Okay, That's what I mean by putting it to death. A good illustration is the nation of Israel. If you remember, God uh, gave them the land. right? And he said, here's the land. There was one problem. There were enemies in the land. They had to take the land from their enemies. And God gave them a specific command and he said, make no covenant with the people of the land. You have to drive them all out, because if you don't drive them out, they're going to be, what is it, like a thorn in your side, or in your eyes. I mean, they're going to make your life difficult. That's the same thing in the Christian life. You know, if if there's an area of sin in my life, and I don't deal with it, I just let it stay, and I say, well, you know, I'll accept this one sin in my life, and I'll serve God with the rest of my life. This sin is going to keep haunting you, right? It's going to keep making you stumble. It's going to keep you from living the victorious Christian life, right? You cannot compromise with it. Any sin has to go. Okay, uh, and then we have this list of sins. And uh, it's broken into in two verses. Uh, I, I was trying to come up with some way of, you know, why is it separated this way? And, and this is just me, so you know, don't, don't make a big deal out of it. It seems like the first one are, are sins uh, that, that satisfy our flesh or desire at the expense of others. All right? That's the first list of sins. By the way, something to notice is all these sins... Now the reason Paul is bringing these things out in particular is these were things that were considered okay in the land. Right? There are certain things that people are reali- realize are wrong, like, you, know, murder, right? the big ones. Our society recognizes it's wrong. They're not going to quarrel with the word of God about murder. Right? I don't. Know. Do you run into that Tom? Some people think murder is okay? No, yeah, it's, it's wrong. Everybody agrees. These are things that Paul had to tell them about because in their society they were considered OK. You know what the amazing thing? In our society, too, all these sins that he's listing here are perfectly fine. You can do it. Right? Consenting adults. Do what you want to do. Get a room, but, you know, do what you want to do. <clears throat> so, but, but not so, you know, in the word of God. That's not, not accepted. So the first uh, sins, the ones I said, they seem to be about satisfying ourselves at the expense of others. The first one... Uh, I kind of grouped them together, fornication, uncleanness, passion, and evil desire. We all connect those to sexual immorality. And um, we need to recognize, you know, God created sex. And uh, the Bible says marriage is honorable among all. Everybody considers marriage to be okay. And the bad undefiled, there's nothing wrong in the sexual relationship within the marriage covenant. It's a good thing. It's something God has done done to deepen that relationship. And that's what God's about, relationships. You build up relationship. Okay? Whereas when you're doing it outside of the sanctity of marriage, which means you go and you do it with somebody and then you go and you do it with somebody else, you're you're destroying relationship instead of building up relationship. Right? At the expense of others. Others are suffering because you want to satisfy your flesh. That's not God. That's not the things of heaven. Uh, Second one was covetousness. And uh, the Greek word for covetousness is pleonexia. Pleonexia. I don't know about you. When I hear that word, it sounds to me like a disease. Pleonexia. And uh, the word pleons means... Holding more. Holding more. So you could say covetousness is the disease of holding more. Right? I want to keep it. Right? Now, how is that you know, doing it at the expense of others? Right? Again, in our society we'll say, well, what's mine is mine. Right? I can do with it what I want to do with it. is right? Isn't that what people would say? Well, the Bible says this in First Timothy six, seventeen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, thinking you're better than others, nor to trust in uncertain riches, which means putting your hope of the future based on the money you now have, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God is the one who gave me all I have, and he did give it to me to enjoy it. So that's a good thing. We'll agree with that so far. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. You know what? God didn't make you rich just for you. He also made you rich for others, right? With the thought that you'll be sharing with others. So if you're holding on what God gave you and you're seeing your brother or somebody else in real need and you're holding it to yourself, you're doing it at their expense, right? For your good, at the expense of others. And uh, we would note, it says here that covetousness is, is uh, idolatry. Why is it idolatry? Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the others, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So when you choose to hold on to what God has given to you, when God is saying to share it with others, you're saying this is more important to me than you are God. And therefore that's idolatry. You've just set your your physical possession, material possessions, as more important than God, which is idolatry by definition. Okay, we were talking about having the right channel, tuning to the right channel. Uh, Matthew Six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And uh, what 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 we have here is the greatest exchange program in the world. Right? If I wanted to get some, uh, you know, euros. You know, I could go to, uh, to a place that exchanges money, maybe a bank, and I'll, I'll give them $100, and I'll get, I think today it's pretty close to 100 euros. I forget what the exchange rate is today. And, you know, they'll, they won't give me, you know, exactly the value of my money. They keep some of it, right? They, they have to make a profit out of that exchange. Uh, but, but we have an opportunity to exchange our material goods for eternal goods. Right? That's what he says by, how can I lay up treasures in heaven? Well, I can use the money that God has given me to finance perhaps somebody that's going and preaching the gospel somewhere. That person is able to lead someone to the Lord, and then God credits that to me. right? And so I took something that was a material possession, which has a limited value in this world and no value at all in heaven. And it becomes something of eternal value in heaven, the greatest exchange program in the world. If you haven't tried it, try it. (laughs) And the wonderful thing is, it helps us set our mind on things above. Right? I mean, if I fill up my house with things, right? That's that's what my mind is on, right? If I if I'm using my material goods to finance the work of the Lord, whether it's abroad or at home. And it sets my mind on the things of heaven. Okay. Uh, the second list of, uh, of sins here, which is in verse uh, 8, I listed or tried to categorize of how do we respond to offenses given to us by others. So I have here a, a picture of what might happen on a very bad day. <laughs> you know, how would you respond to a person who did that to you? Will it be with anger, wrath, malice? Who taught you to drive? <laughs> Blasphemy, taking God's name, filthy language, using the F word or S word or any word. And then the question, well, what is really more important? Is it that car that was just so savagely destroyed? Or is it the person who did it to you? Who is more important from eternal perspective? If you react with anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language, your opportunity of winning that person to the Lord just went down to zero. Whereas you can look at it as an opportunity. (laughs) You know, I'm really sorry this happened. And, you know, please give me your information. But, uh, you know, let's get together for coffee and talk about it later. (laughs) I don't know. You know, come up with your best line. You could use it for an opportunity for the Lord. Right? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, it doesn't have to be something so dramatic. I have it happening every day. Right? Nothing like that, but somebody steps on my toes at work or at home, my wife or my children, doing something that bothers me, offends me. How do I respond? Am I angry with them? Or do I see a precious soul that Jesus died for and sick? You know, how can I respond to the situation in a way that encourages them? Right? Rather than in a way that satisfies the flesh. Okay, and then uh, we have: do not lie to one another. Again, acceptable in this world. You know, lying to people—it's perfectly fine in certain circumstances, (laughs) right? You know, you lie to someone, you lose absolutely all credibility with them. Your ability of sharing the gospel with them—again—just brought down to zero. Why should I believe what you're saying about the Lord when you know you've just lied to me about something else? Okay. Now, there's a couple of verses uh, mingled in here. Uh, One is verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. If if you think these sins are okay, it's worth remembering that because of these sins, God will destroy this world. Now, praise God. I'm in heaven, okay? I have my seat there. I don't have to worry about the judgment of God against me, but do I want to practice something that God will judge this world for? And uh, the other, uh, it's, he mentions, you know, you yourselves, you used to do this, right? Verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Uh, there's something I didn't know about when I was a child. Actually, not until I got uh, to work. And uh, we were trying to, to uh, expand our production line in my company. And uh, I wanted to get some additional purification bottles. We had a line, a cleaning line. And uh, I talked to the, ven- to the vendor, and I asked him how much that will be. And he gave me a quote. I'm like, this is way too expensive. Why is it so expensive? And then he explained to me, well, you know, because you have this kind of a line, you're doing this kind of purification, you might be contaminating our bottles. We have to go through this process of, you know, really cleaning them, and that's really expensive. And I said, well, what about all these other purifi- purification bottles we have right now? Why... You know, why, why do these not cost as so much? And he says, well, they've been grandfathered in. Have you ever heard of that? Grandfather? And it just means that because the system is already in place, we do have a new law regulation, but we're not going to have you change what you're already doing. But if you get a new one, we're going to apply the new regulation too. It's like codes in the city, right? They come up with all these codes. Like right now in your bathroom, you're supposed to have a light switch that will go off by itself. If nobody's in the bathroom for more than 15 minutes, the light should just go off. That's code. Has anyone been knocking on your door and asking you to change? No, because you've been grandfathered in. But if you're going to remodel your bathroom and you'll do things properly and you'll go to the city, they'll say, make sure you put that kind of a switch in. Make sure your house is up to code. What, What this is saying is, You don't get grandfathered in when it comes to sin. You can't say, well, I've always done it, Lord. This was always part of my life. No, you have to change, (laughs) right? Okay, then finally, principle number four. And that is you have to believe God's power or work on your behalf. We're talking about becoming holy or being holy or living uh, the victorious Christian life. You cannot do it by yourself, right? It has to be the power of God. And it says, uh, again, I guess a similar illustration, or continuing on a previous illustration, remember the nation of Israel. God told them to take the land, right? And uh, they sent some spies in, and the spies came in with a bad report. This is not a good military move, right? There's more of them than there are of us. They're bigger than we are. And they have cities with walls fortified to heaven. We cannot take this place. This is suicide. (laughs) Turn back, go back to Egypt. Save yourselves. Right? I mean, that's what they did. But this is what God told them. I will send my fear before you. God's fear upon those people. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. doesn't matter if they're bigger than you. doesn't matter if there's more of them than you. If they turn their back, you know, you're going to win, right? And will send hornets before you which will drive out the Hevites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, from before you, right? The only way Israel could take the land was with God's power. And the same thing is true for us. We can only take the land, take your life, and live it for God with the power of God. And that's what he says here when he says, and I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. God gave you a new nature, a nature that loves the things of God. God gave you the Holy Spirit, the power of God inside of you. So you're not alone in the battle. Right? You have to try. If you don't believe that God's going to help you, you're never going to do it. <laughs> right? You'll be like the children of Israel. But go knowing that God is with you. When uh, I went to college, I learned for the first time of this uh, thing called affirmative action. And... Uh, Affirmative action is uh, a recognition that there's uh, certain disadvantaged segments of the population. Right? Those people who uh, are less likely to be born into a family with education and with money and with whatever resources this world believes you need to have in order to succeed in this world. Now, uh, Paul goes into this list in verse 11. He says, Well, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what he's saying? You don't need affirmative action. (laughs) Because you have it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you have Christ, you have all you need to live the life that the Lord wants you to live. You know, there, there may be helpful books out there, but, uh, you know, all these books, you know, were not around at the time Paul lived, and people could still live for Christ. And after each one of these books is written, there's another book written. If one book worked, <laughs> we wouldn't need any more books. We'd have, you know, the final one written. But the truth is, you have all that you need in Christ. You don't need a special book to live the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We recognize that um, you called us to be holy because you are holy. And uh, you do have a vision for our life that you call the abundant life. And Lord, we want to claim it for ourselves. We want to claim it for anybody here who doesn't have it. We want to claim life here for anybody who doesn't have life in you. And uh, ask that you might uh, dismiss us with your blessing and uh, help us live in the power you've given to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.